0: We are now continuing on through Galatians. Um, so it's been a journey. The journey first started when Creekside opened its doors 11 years ago. And so you're like, what? We've been going through Galatians that long? And he's like, yeah, it's kind of felt like that. I hope it hasn't felt like that. Um, we are. We have one more week here next week. We'll finish up chapter four, and then we'll take a break. Uh, we're going to go through some parables leading up to uh, the cross. And so we'll have a two-month break, and then we can get back into Galatians after Easter. And really, the, really some really good chapters. My favorite chapters, five and six, were super practical. Talks about life in the Spirit. Talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And so it's going to end just like... With fireworks, and so I'm excited for the next little bit as we uh, gather and we talk about Christ these next uh, three to four months here. And so I want to pray before we enter in. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you uh, for your Word, Lord. We thank you that it gives us insight into you, Lord. It points us to you, um, and Lord, as we gather and as we read it, Lord, and as we uh, Lord share, Lord, what is being said in these scriptures, we pray that it's just, it transforms us, Lord. That's our heart as we do this, Lord. Uh, I just don't want to gain more knowledge, Lord. Lord, I really want to be transformed uh, in my heart rather than my head. And so, Lord, I pray that this would begin, uh, Lord, just uh, continue to do deep work, Lord, within us as we hear your word. Lord, let us be open to it. Like, yeah, that's an aspect in my life where, you know, I really need Jesus to breathe into. So, Father, we thank you that your word is alive, Lord, that it transforms, and we are excited for what you have in store. Amen. So we're going to turn to Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 to 20. Uh, If you don't have your Bible, it'll be up here on the screen, and so I'm going to continue. Oh, I got the clicker now. It should be working. We're going to give her, and so we'll see what happens. But if you don't have your Bibles, like I said, it'll be up here on the screen. And it begins. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you, that, I, that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me. For I become like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me in as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but not for good. What they want is to alienate you from us, so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you, my dear children, for whom I again, in the pains of childbirth, Until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tome, because I am perplexed about you. Uh, If you can remember last week, uh, as we talked, Paul is telling the Galatians at the beginning of chapter four that there's this period of time when they were—it was like they were orphans, that they were spiritual orphans. At the time of the law, it made them like not connected with God. It was a time like of in between. And we can ex- we've experienced the in-between in our lives before. We can think about those times where maybe you've been in-between a job, right? Maybe you had a job, and then there wasn't a time when you were looking and searching, and then you, ha- you finally got that job maybe four or six months later. For Kim and I, there was that time of when we were renting, right? We were like, we got here, and we were renting our place, and so we knew we had it for like nine months, but we didn't know what was happening after that nine months. We're in this space of in-between And that in-between stage, right, we can agree or we can realize that maybe you're thinking of a time where you're like kind of stuck in between something, in between time of jobs or maybe moving. They don't always feel comfortable, right? Like we don't go look back. I don't look back and go, oh, man, I wish I was back in that space. Like I learned lots in it. I learned how to trust, draw me closer to Christ. But I remember like, the first month or two, I felt comfortable. It's like, finally, we're here. And we sat down. And then maybe like three months later, I'd be sitting down and like, trying to relax. And then the kids would be like, oh, man, the yard's not big. I'm like, yeah, you're right, the yard's not big. Man, I wonder when we're going to move. Man, these couches aren't our couches. Like, oh, I, that's not even our TV. That's not even our table. And then and this anxiety would come upon me, realizing that I'm still stuck in this in-between, still t- stuck in this moment of not knowing what's going to happen Come in nine months. And so we find value in this in between because it teaches us, but we're hoping for a breakthrough. We're hoping for that, that thing on the other side. And that time of the law is, is kind of what it felt like. The law was the guardian until it was time for someone to come and change our status. And if we can remember last week when I had Malachi up here and he had all these things on him and I had this sweet robe on that was not big enough for me. It was my wife's robe. And then it was this status now that I was given to Malachi, that God gave to us through Jesus, took all those things and placed this robe on him. And so the slaves at this time, they had no inheritance, nothing to be passed down to them. Not only that, but they were ruled by somebody else. And Paul continues to hammer that point home at the beginning of the section. He says, following the law and the traditions and the festivals were like going back to the time where you weren't even known by God. Like, what do you mean not known by God? He created us. He loves us. But there was that separation during this time that Israel felt and what the law was supposed to do. And so he really questions, why would they turn back to something that that would simply just enslave them, simply that would be their ruler? Especially now that they, they know God. They know him. They know him. Why would they want to turn back to somebody who knows this true God, who knows them, who has set them free, who has placed, why would they place themselves under bondage again by going back to the law? And so Paul makes an important point when he says, or rather are known by God. It is really more important that God knows us, is what he's saying. It's really important that God knows us. Not that we just know God, but he knows us. And that was what Jesus, that relation through Jesus does. It helps us to know him, to know him. Right, we think of Matthew seven twenty one to twenty three, and there's that phrase that, that we, we we talk about a lot. That it's really profound, and it's like he's saying, "I never knew you." We don't want that. We want Jesus to be like, "I never knew you." And so this is where the Galatians are. They find themselves in that tough spot. The way forward doesn't look easy or obvious, right? It's like this is new terrain. Faith in Jesus. This is new. What it looks like to be the church, this is new to them. What it looks like to be like to live by faith day by day with Jesus, this is like all new. But the other way, it's kind of laid out for you through the law. Like, that seems a bit easier. And so they decide to turn back to what's familiar, specifically to their own pre-conversion pagan practices, as Paul laments. It's like you observe the days and months and seasons and years. And as a result, Paul believes the Galatians are deserting the one who's called them. He's like, you're deserting the one who's called you. Relapsing into this former state of slavery, that time of ignorance when they neither knew God or were neither known by him. And so Paul asks this big question, and we're gonna talk about this question a bit today, and we're gonna even rephrase it a little bit as we continue on. He's like, Paul's like, why are you turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Paul's like, why are you moving backwards? Why are you moving backwards? Because moving backwards isn't the way to move forward. I, remembering like returning to the old things, to the old practices, to the, to the old lifestyles, to the old religious acts, aren't the way that you're gonna move forward. That's not how it's gonna happen. I remember when I decided to go to college in Portland. Big decision for me, small, uh, not small town. I like to say I was small town, but definitely wasn't. And so, but I grew up in Pittsburgh. Old buildings, old culture. Um, family had never gone to college. I don't even know if they knew how to spell college. And so, like, they were, we were the furthest west that any one of us had gone was Ohio. And if you don't know a geography, Pennsylvania is here. Pittsburgh's like right there. Ohio's like right there, like right on the border. I like, think like the furthest, like, we maybe had ventured like three hours away from home, and that was like uh, bring a brown paper bag, and we're hyperventilating, let's get back to our house. And so, I felt the Lord lead me for this move to go all the way to Portland because what I wanted to do was stay at home, do school over the internet, learn from my pastor, be safe. And so, but I followed through. I never thought about the magnitude of this move, though. I never thought how big it was, you know, and so I just kind of went throughout my days leading up to Pittsburgh, or uh, leaving Pittsburgh to go to uh, Portland. I didn't even think about, you know, maybe I could find a spouse. Didn't think, like, maybe I'll actually never come back to Pittsburgh to live, didn't think about, you know, maybe I'll do my four years and then I'll move somewhere else and never head back to Pittsburgh. These, these things weren't crossing my mind. Um, it was still developing my mind. Let's say. But like I remember hanging out the night before with my friends, packing, because that's what guys do, I guess, the night before you leave for a four-month journey, um, trying to pack. And not a smart move. And... Pack the night before. I get up to go the next day. I start the travel. First time on an airplane. First time more than three hours away from home. And all the emotions of what's happening are starting to hit me a bit. I'm keeping it in because I'm the man. strong. I had two of my friends with me. Can't cry in front of them. That's not cool. And so we get to Portland. We enter the dorm room. Drop the bags. They're pumped because they're here. But the reality is they're leaving in like four days so that you can be pumped all you want. I'm staying here. And so this is my new life. And then I'm like, shake my head. They're like, are you excited? I'm like, yeah. Then I slowly walk out of that room, walk into the next room, shut the door, call my mom and dad, and just start to cry like somebody has stolen my lunch money. They're like, mom and dad, I've made the wrong decision. What are you my, doing? Why did you let me do this? And so I'm coming home. You love me, right? You'd let me come home, right? You start playing those kind of cards. I've made a mistake. Save me, save me. But they didn't. They knew I couldn't look back, go back to where I was, go back to the old things, go back to my life in Pittsburgh. They knew for me to move forward with Christ, maybe move forward with my relationship with him, to draw deeper to him was to do this move. Even coming here, it was hard. I love the fact that I'm here with you guys, but in May when we were about to come the day before, oh, the emotions were real. I'm like, Kim, this is... I don't know if I can do this. I don't know. I don't know. She's like, I think this is what we're supposed to do. I'm like, I do too, but it's hard. It's so hard. It's so comfortable right here in Eston, small town. But we knew that moving forward, we couldn't look back. We knew that it was time to move forward with him in a deeper way, to challenge ourselves in a new way. Some old things that we were doing, the, like doing the college life, it was awesome, it was great, but it was preparing us for something else. And we see this lot as we read the Bible. Can we remember the story of the Israelites? Right? They were slaves to Egypt. Not in a great situation. They were then freed from Egyptian bondage. And were on their way to the promised land. They're like, oh, you're free from bondage. This is great. We're on our way to the promised land. Under the leadership of Moses, they now have to face this long journey into an unknown future. Sound familiar? For the Galatians. For myself. Maybe even for you. You're thinking of situations. Maybe even right now. It's like, I don't know if I can venture forward. They were afraid, first of pursuing, first because the Egyptians were pursuing them, then the Canaanites who were defending the Promised Land. Either way, it wasn't looking great. The Israelites confronted a difficult wilderness transition, and they wanted to turn back. They are like, no, it's happening out. I'm going back. And again and again, the cry went up. Why did we leave Egypt? Why did we leave Egypt? What were we thinking? We were better off as slaves in this crazy dream of the promised land. They were longing for the shackles. They were longing for the things that was holding them back. You may recall how they responded to the reports of the spies. When they heard of giants in the land, they were so distraught and even indignant, they decided to appoint a replacement for Moses, the one who led They wanted one who would lead them back to Egypt. They're like, Moses is not doing it, so we need a new leader. This guy is crazy. And so we need somebody else. There was a coup happening to get Moses out. They're like, this guy is the worst. This guy can't, he can't even talk. He needs somebody else to talk for him. Sounds like Porky Pig when he talks. But that's all, folks. And here they are making fun of poor Moses. And the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt... Or that he, or that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall back to the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. We read the story and we're like, "They're, they're nuts. It's unbelievable, willing to go back to slavery. Yet, this is, in fact, what Paul is telling the Galatians. You're willing to go back to this? Go back to slavery? Astonishing. The, is- like the Israelites of old, the Galatians, want to return to slavery. Want to return back to the old way. I heard this story. We were just in SeaWorld. But there is, right, the whale, it's born into captivity. You know, but it's got a good life. It's got food. It's, it, it loves the interaction with the people. Um, and But it, there was this place where this well was being held captive for this show, and some people wanted to free this well, so they actually tore down the wall, tore down the wall that was like right on the, the ocean side there that held the well in captivity, and the well was free. The well left, and it was gone, and it entered out into the ocean, and I realized, well, where's my food? I realized, like, where's my friend? <laughs> like, why isn't he rubbing my belly anymore? And so what the whale did is it went back back and I'm not saying these things are bad, but I'm saying what I'm saying is it went back into a place where it, it was boarded up, where its walls were limited. Instead of into this wild where a relationship the ocean is at its fingertips. As we move forward with Christ and our relationship with him, we encounter moments of storms. We encounter times when things, they seem bleak in life. We encounter sickness, heartbreak, pain. We encounter uncertainty. We encounter outbreaks. We encounter, you know, maybe political things that are happening that make us feel uneasy. And there are tough, tough moments that we come across. And the big question is, if we were to rephrase Paul's question, when the way forward is hard, where do we turn to? Where do we turn to when the way forward is hard? We're like, this is I'm in a hard space right now. Maybe if you're looking at your life right now, it's like, oh, there's some hard things happening right now. Where am I turning to? The answer we say is Jesus. What we've been trained to say. But what have we been tra- like trained to do? What do we turn on the TV when those tough time comes? Maybe do we just turn off completely? Do we think about it would be easier just to quit? Do we think about maybe another source of satisfaction? Maybe, you know, we enter, like, some things are going hard, and so we just want to zone out, and so we just whip out our phone, and we just scroll through it. Do we think about even going back to the old life? Or even those old habits, when they come up? Or do we think about turning to previous religious practices that seemed to work the last time, right? Sometimes we think, you know, when I was going through something like this, I read through all of Matthew and the problem was solved, so we can like, I just need to read through Matthew again, and then the problem's going to be solved. Or do we simply turn to Jesus? Turn to the one who's freed us as we've taken communion. We realize, I hope, as we gathered to that point of communion, what this actually means, the freedom we have. Relationship, we have? Do we look to Him to help us through? Do we continue to walk in faith knowing that this is the way He's directed us, even though it's like, I just want to quit, I just want to do this, I just want to turn off, I just don't want to focus on anything? Because when we return to our former way of life, we find that it actually doesn't provide us with greater strength or freedom to help us move forward. In fact, it's just the opposite. We find we're back in bondage to the things that has held us captive. And this is what Paul sees in the Galatians. If they turn back to their old way of life, it's in its old like, practices, they're yielding their lives to that which is powerless to get them to where they need to go. They're turning back to things that give them no power to move forward. And but more than that, they'll also give themselves back to that which has enslaved them. The very thing Paul was saying, don't do, don't go back to those things that enslave you. They don't have a relationship with you. The Egyptians, they don't care about you. Yeah, it might seem like you got some meals and it's nice. I know you're complaining about our meals right now, but the way forward is so much better. Yeah, you know what? Leaving Pittsburgh is a scary thing, especially for someone who's never been in a plane, but the way forward is so much better. Yeah, I know you're going through some tough times right now, and you just feel like, I just I just can't open my Bible. I just can't read. I just can't talk to Jesus. You know what? He is the only one that will get you helping you move forward with him. The old ways, practices, no. See, whatever we turn to, though, whatever we turn to in those tough times becomes the thing we worship. Paul says that two things are true about all of our worship before we come to to Christ. First, we come to something else besides Christ. It's a bit demonic. That's shocking, but think about it. The demons know this. They know we're built to worship God. We are built to worship him. That's what we are built to do. That's what we are called to do. But if we aren't worshiping God, we're worshiping something else. And if we're worshiping something else, the enemy is totally fine with that. They don't really care what it is as long as it's not God. So the thing we turn to becomes the thing that we worship, becomes the thing that we are actually like, this, is, this helps me through, not turning to Jesus. That might seem a bit steep, but let's think about it. As we, as we even go throughout our weeks, what am I turning to? Second, and we talked about this, it's enslaving. Whatever we worship other than God will enslave us. And Tim Keller, he says this, if anything but Jesus is a requirement for being happy or worthy, then that thing will become our slave master. If we need like, our family to be secured and fulfilled, then we might become controlling and possessive of our family. You need our kids to turn out well as a validation of, of myself and become very controlling of them because you need them close by or you resent them for doing the things that take them away from you. My parents freely let me go. They realized this is what, I, he's not my kid. This is the Lord's. I, he, I, I just wanted him to do what the Lord's directing him to do. I'm sure it was hard for them. If you look for approval for others to be happy, you become a slave to other people's opinions. One of my favorite or old movies is Rocky. And they're in the skating rink and Adrian asks Rocky why he's going to fight the world champ. Why are you doing it, Rocky. Rocky says, No, I, I have to go 15 rounds with the guy. Because if I go 15 rounds, then, you know, I'm, I'm not a bum. Everyone has something that is like those 15 rounds to prove I'm not a bum. Something that we try to escape our, our bumness. It's a funny word. You can giggle if you want. <laughs> As I wrote it down, I definitely might have giggled. Whenever progress with Christ proves difficult, we'll hear voices clamoring for us to come back. To go back, you know, go back to those things. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit hard. What about this, though? Remember that? That was good. And if we listen, we'll find our, muds are, our, muds, our minds are flooded with the memories of how good life used to be. Like, oh, you remember that? That was good times doing this. You no, know, it was easier when you were doing that. There are two ways we don't want to turn back. And we've just talked about this one. We don't want to turn back, you know, to those things that used to enslave us, to those things in life, our old ways. But we also don't want to make religious acts our God. Paul is quite clear that the Jewish law was given by God with a purpose within his overall plan. There's a purpose to the law within his plan. God's made that clear. But now that the plan has been fulfilled, anyone who goes back to the early stages is treating the law as though if it were something independent now. That could stand for all time, treating it, in another word, as a God. And the Galatians ought to know the whole point of becoming a Christian was to escape from the rule of enslaving gods, to find freedom by this true God now. And Paul speaks of the rebellion by saying they observed the days, months, seasons, and years. And, but let's be clear. The early church, it did keep various festivals. Paul speaks this about this himself. He says, you know, he mentions the first day of the week as being special. We see that in 1 Corinthians 16 too. Easter, it became this important festival after. But what seems to matter here is that the Galatians are insisting on keeping the Jewish festivals and the point of these Jewish festivals that were happening was that they all looked forward to the great act of redemption, which God would one day accomplish. That's what they did. It was all about looking forward to this great act of redemption that God was going to fulfill. And so how can they keep them when God's future has already arrived in Jesus? It's like it's happened. That thing that all those festivals were pointing to has now happened through Jesus, I heard this quote by N.T. Wright, and it says, They're saying by these observances that they aren't sure God really has done what he said he would. They're keeping these. They're like, I'm not sure if God really actually kept the promise. I'm not sure if he actually did what he called out to do. Whereas the point of the gospel is he has. He has done it. He has. So likewise, when we return to something like this, we're saying, Jesus, you know, I don't believe you did it, or you can do it. I don't believe you can do what you've done before. I don't believe you can turn this around. Paul is saying that earning one's own salvation through scrupulous biblical morality and religion is just as much enslavement to idols as outright paganism and its immoral practices. That's big. So said, in the end, the religious person is as lost as the enslaved, as the ir- irreligious person. Why? Both are trying to be their own Savior and Lord, but in different ways, both are based on the basic biblical principles of the world. So how can turning to work salvation be considered an enslavement to false gods? How can it be then if we're trying to do good things? How is this, like I'm treating like a false god? How can this be? There are a finite number of different ways that we can choose to earn our salvation through works. Even if we don't think of it as earning our salvation at all. Works righteousness always creates idols. It's simply that the false saviors it produces. Sometimes we're like, and listen, these are great things that we do as believers. We do it as believers because we've been called by Christ to do it because he loves us. Because doing these things bring us, they bring us something. They bring us closer together. They draw us closer to him. But we feel like, if I don't, if I miss the church one Sunday, I'm in God's bad books. And I'll stand up here and encourage and plead and endorse for everyone to read their Bibles, to pray every day, to draw close to Christ in worship, to pray as you go throughout your day. These are things we do because we love Christ, because we love Him, because we want to know Him better, we want to draw closer to Him, because we want to see Him. But if you miss a day of Bible reading, you have now not entered into Christ's bad books. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Don't be like, this guy's saying, don't read the Bible. What What kind of pastor is this? This will bring you life. This will draw you closer to Christ. This is something that we want to do because we love Christ. We want to read this. We want to know him better. And if you heard what I said and you're like, he's telling me not to read Christ, then you are already in a spot where you don't want to read this. But you can ask my wife as she journeyed through something like this. She felt like if she missed a day of her reading... It's like I feel like I just need to repent. And it's like, then it becomes hard to open the Bible the next day and the next day. This draws us close, helps us understand Him more. If anything, Jesus is a requirement. for being happy or worthy. If anything else besides Jesus is a requirement for being happy and worthy, then that thing will become our slave master. It will enslave us. The perfect example of this is in Jesus' story of the two brothers in Luke 15. A father had one very immoral younger prodigal son and one very moral elder son. Both of them wanted control of the father's wealth but did not want the father. They wanted his wealth, did not want the father. Both were alienated from the father's heart and at the end of the story, though, the immoral son repents and goes into the father. He did some things he shouldn't have done. He left. He took the money. But then he came back. While the moral one stays, he has, he stays outside in anger. He's upset. Thinking that if he did all good things, it's like, well, my brother did this. How, how can he just come back? And How does the father just accept him back in? I don't understand. But I was, all, I was good. I did all these great things. If anything, the idolatry and slavery of religion can be more dangerous than the idolatry and slavery of irreligion because sometimes it's just less obvious. The irreligious person knows he is far away from God, but the religious person does not. And as we close here, I want to look at these last eight verses. These last eight verses, stripped down, they are just simply an appeal from Paul. It is like a mother having a real heart-to-heart with her child. Like somebody just sitting down having that real, raw, emotional talk to them. There are handfuls of conversations that I remember with my mom. A handful of them that I remember just listening to her. There are times when she would sit me down and explain to me the Bible. There are moments when my mom would raise her voice, maybe to, to say, Jeremy, you shouldn't be doing this. Moments when she would, like a situation would come to help me know Christ better. She would talk to me about that. But then there are those moments when it's just like mom and son sitting on a swing, talking about life. She's being real with some of the mistakes that maybe she's made, realizing she's being vulnerable. She doesn't want me to make those. She's being open about parenting me, what it's like. There's a moment when I asked Kim's dad dad for Kim's hand in marriage. He said yes, obviously. But then there was this conversation that happened after that I'll always remember. It was just so real. He's like, "Hey, can you come meet me at the church? I just want to talk." And I'm like, "Oh, is he rethinking about this? And like, I need to have like a backup plan. <laughs> like, I'm actually really good. Like, <laughs> I love your daughter." But I remember him just sitting on the stage, and he was just vulnerable. He just talked about the joy of raising Kim. Talked about what she means. And it was such a real conversation, heart to heart. Just, just reminiscing. This, this heart, like it was just vulnerable. And this is the point in Galatians where Paul is at. It's real. He stops talking theology. This isn't about theology, the next eight verses, but about a love for the people, about what he poured into them. It breaks off the train of that thought and speaks a quite different way that surprises the readers and the hearers. This is an apostle to the Gentiles. This is Paul's life and ministry where they were so tied to these converts, just like my mom's work is tied to me and Kim's, to her, Kim's dad to Kim. Up until this point in the whole letter, he has been mounting a step by step argument, requiring his hearers, not to mention us 2,000 years later, is to follow closely and really think really hard. Think really hard. It's like a teacher suddenly stops, stands up in the middle of the class, takes off his glasses, and is like, Let me tell you, what's, you know, what I'm thinking. This is a real heart to heart moment. This is personal. Almost every line in the next eight verses from 12 to 20 is an appeal to friendship, to family loyalty, to a mutual bond established by their common experience of what God has done for them together. Paul goes back to the beginning with his relationship with the Gentiles, or the Galatians. Paul is like, hey, you remember, I was in bad shape when I came, I was sick. We, he could have been badly beaten, but either way, he was in bad shape when he came and he saw the Galatians. His state was so bad that it was kind of, he's like, it, it, wouldn't, it wasn't attractive. But this didn't stop you from welcoming me in. And then I announced the good news of Jesus, and God worked so powerfully through this, and they knew, the Galatians, that they were in something, in the presence of something extraordinary. They knew the message he had was what they were looking for. Their hearts were ready. This man came in. And the conversation is so raw that Paul's personal investment in his converts is remarkable, perhaps even startling for some. It's like what a mother must feel for a firstborn son who has gone astray. And in fact, this is just the image Paul conjures up in Galatians. His anguish is so acute. He's like a woman in labor, prepared to give birth to them all over again. He's like, my little children, for whom I again, in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed within you. This is about He's like, I love you so much. The, the Judaizers, they don't. It's just you're simply just a notch on their belt. But man, I love you. Come, don't go back to the thing that enslave you. Don't go back to those things. There's only one way, I feel like, to end this sermon. The only way is just to have a talk. A lot of my talks, they happen at a table. I usually have a cup of coffee. You can imagine this being a big table. But I want to leave you with this. I love leading this congregation. If you're wondering if this is coffee, it's water. It's usually coffee. The last year and a half have been an amazing part of this journey. As I leave here today, I want to encourage you. I know we all desire to draw close to Jesus. That's what we want. That's what we come here to do. My fear is like, I just don't want us to find a, a new way to draw close to him, like maybe new religious activities, trying to find the newest, most profound thoughts. My hope is that we all realize that Jesus, he's simply the only way. I don't ever want it. you to turn back. I know life gets hard. Separation, divorce, sickness. The journey seems difficult. Maybe, maybe someone's here thinking about giving up. I encourage you, don't give up. Going back to those old idols, those old things, those non-gods, they'll simply just enslave us. They don't care. They don't care for us at all. Maybe you feel like shutting it all off when things are hard. Maybe turn on the TV. Maybe, maybe you have uh, something else you worship when things are hard. I call it go to the cross, come to Jesus, the one who loves us, cares for us. I must invite Julie up and the worship team. My biggest worry for the church. Not like this church, but the Church of Canada in general is this comfort. We get quite comfort to success. We want to be comfortable, and when we are a comfortable, God, I feel like God's blessed us. When we are comfortable, we don't want to do uncomfortable things, like share the gospel. I want to be comfortable sharing it, realizing it is the only thing that will save. I want to be uncomfortable. I wrote this, Creekside family, you've welcomed me in a year and a half ago. Some would have accepted a 33 year old to lead them, but you did. We have dined together on soup Sundays. For some of you, you've watched my kids. You've prayed for me. I've, some of you have sat around the table at your homes. You've sat around the table at my home. Some of you have helped in tough moments of life. Maybe when someone's dying, tough family situation. You've sat at my dinner table in fellowship with us. Maybe some of you have come to our small group, some of you have sat at a coffee shop and discussed life and God together. Our friendship has grown, it's been great. Today I sit at this table, I just wanna urge you not to turn to the idols of the world. Money, Work, power, sex, those things, you might feel them calling you, but they only want to enslave you. I know they seem attractive and they feel comfortable. I know they feel like you can control them, but they will only provide you minor comfort. They pale in comparison to the one true God. I urge you not to turn to religious acts to find freedom. Only Christ can free you and provide the direction you desire. Please don't think head knowledge equates to being known by God. The only way to know God is to know Jesus. Let us talk more about Jesus and his saving grace. Let us never turn to false idols. Let the bridge that we are willing to die on be solely about the resurrection of Jesus. Let us welcome every person that walks into those doors as family. Let the doors of our house be open like Christ's heart is open to us all. Let us walk together in unity, realizing that unity breeds something beautiful. Family, I urge you, observe only Jesus. Embrace his Holy Spirit. Creekside, let us move forward with Christ. Let's pray as Julie will play last song as we close uh, if you want prayer you're like man those things that are my old ways, the old life I feel them calling me back I just need to pray for it. I just need to be prayed for it. it's hard right now, it's hard to move forward Oh, maybe you feel enslaved you're always like I just don't know if I'm good enough for God. I feel like I just have to continue to do these things. Like, He loves you. He cares for you. Um, he's died for our, our sins. He doesn't want to be bogged down by wondering. It's like, yeah, I know he loves me, but does he actually like me? He loves you. He likes you. We want to move forward knowing that he cares for us deeply. So I'd love to pray for you as Julie plays this last song. But let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the one who has come to free us. Lord, that the way forward is only with you. Lord, and going forward with you provides so much freedom. Lord, the world wants to try to enslave us. Lord, it wants to try to put us back into captivity. Lord, it wants to to keep us bounded down. Only you have the power to save. So let's move forward knowing You are the thing that will provide us much freedom. Amen.